Hebrews chapter number 11. I'm just going to read the first verse. But we're going to be looking at a lot of passages here in this general area. We'll just read the first verse for our text. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible conference that I was invited to uh, down in Silsby, Texas, has the theme of um, faith. And it, all the messages are coming from Hebrews uh, chapter number 11. And so I'd been thinking about that for a little while and, and the message that I was assigned down there. Um, but thinking about it as a whole, what is the purpose of this chapter? What is the, what is the purpose of giving us these little snippets of individuals and what they did in this life. And many call this the, the hall of faith or, or heroes of faith. But you know, if you look at some of the things that we have in here, they're just sort of ordinary, everyday things that they did. They weren't necessarily great acts of faith. Um, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And you think of all the things in Joseph's life that the author could have wrote, that might not be the first thing that pops into your mind. And then you go a little bit later on, Gideon, um, Barak, Jephthah, you know, some of these guys, um, you, know, you wonder, well, what is it about them or that, that was the cause for this? And I think if we consider why the author of Hebrews has this chapter and the purpose of this chapter, it helps us better understand why these people were placed in this situation or placed in this chapter and what it was. Now, I'm not downplaying their faith by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there is a, a purpose here for what, what is being driven at in this chapter. And I believe it is to give us encouragement to live by faith in this life, to help you and I not to give up, to persevere, to keep trusting God, to keep looking to Christ, and despite problems in this life, persecutions, trials, troubles, um, temptations, that we don't give up, that we we keep on trusting in the Lord. Though everything looks like it's against us. Though everything be um, looks like this deck is stacked against us. We press on and keep trusting in the Lord. And I think these great, this great cloud of witnesses that we have here. This, this group of witnesses that we have testifying unto the Lord will help us to... Persevere and keep trusting in the Lord. So, let's back up to chapter 10. And look how, look what leads in, into this chapter, I think, to help us better understand what's going on here. Because if you go back all the way to verse 22, we have, in verse 19, we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. There's a new and living way consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, through Christ with his high priest. 
So he says, let us draw near unto God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience that our bodies be washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So really the, the talk of faith, um, it comes before this even, but it, it, he begins it here really in earnest, where we see that a couple times, let us draw near unto God with a full assurance of faith. Since we have a great high priest who has made the way into the holiest of all through the blood of Jesus, that there is a way consecrated for us through his flesh, let us draw near unto God. Let us with full assurance, a heart in full assurance of faith, without wavering, without doubting, let us come to God. Let us be cleansed of all unrighteousness, knowing that it is through Christ that we have access unto the Father. It is through Christ we have been cleansed. It is through Christ that, that we can come into the holiest of all. The high priest couldn't do that but once a year, and no one else could do that without um, the death penalty. Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Solomon couldn't do it. Elijah, Jeremiah, none of them could do it. But we can, through Christ, with full assurance, without doubting, without wavering, um, come into to, before the throne of grace. So let us hold fast that profession of our faith. Let us hold fast that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our only way and he is our only hope. Not going back to the old covenant, not trying to um, enact and keep the, the law of Moses, but let us hold fast the profession of our faith that we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And let's not waver. Let's not go to the left or the right. Let's not doubt. Let's not go backwards. Let's, let's not think that it's not sufficient or add to that work. But let us hold fast without wavering. Why? Because he is faithful that promised. He has promised us salvation in Christ. He has promised us the forgiveness of sins. He has promised us all the blessings that come in the new covenant. So let us draw close to him. Let us hold fast to him. And let us not waver in what we profess, that we are saved um, through the work of Jesus Christ. And then let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works. Since all these things are the case, let us provoke one another. Let us help one another. Let us encourage one another to, to follow the ways of the Lord. And so when we see someone um, halting, let us go and encourage them. When we see someone slowing down, let us go and, and help them up. Let us gather together, help one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what we have here is a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and an assurance in that faith. And we're being encouraged not to waver and not to slide back, but to hang on because he is faithful. So we have our faith in the faithful one. So we are trusting in the faithful one that promised. And so as we are pressing on and continue on clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ, let us encourage one another and provoke one another to also 
love one another and unto good works. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but exhort one another. And more and more as the day approaches, as, as time goes on and time grows near, that you and I are going to have to stand before the Lord. Let us exhort one another. Let's not fail at the end. Let's not fail and, and give up. Let's, let, let's finish well, finish the course, run the race, and help one another and encourage one another more and more. Well, then you get into verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye, that he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So now, he gives us some motivation, some more motivation. So he tells us to have faith, to draw near, to hold fast, to provoke one another. Because, let's, let's think about this for a second. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Well, here it is. The alternative is to walk away. Where would you go without Christ? Well, we're told here in verses 26 through 31, the only thing that you have outside of Christ is death and punishment. Where would you go? Where is your hope without Jesus? The only thing you have apart from Jesus is fiery indignation and the fearful looking for judgment of a thrice holy God. To fall into the hands of the living God is a truly fearful thing because vengeance belongs to him and judgment belongs unto him. So if you don't have Christ, this is what you do have. And so here's the options. You can continue to trust in the Lord, to draw near and have a full assurance of faith, knowing that you have access unto God and the forgiveness of sins and cleansing through his blood and to be washed pure and have your heart clean and have fellowship with God and to assemble to worship and to encourage one another and continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that by faith in his work you have the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And the alternative, and the only alternative is death and then hell and eternal torments of justice falling upon you. Because he says those in the old covenant who despised Moses' law died without mercy. The old covenant whenever they hated what God had to say, they hated the old covenant, they died without mercy. And that's just hating the picture 
So you have somebody that would defile the sacrifice. Well, it was, the judgment was death. You had somebody that defiled the tabernacle. The judgment was death. That's just the picture, right? The, if they would go in and make a mockery of the Passover or make a mockery of the veil, make a mockery of the things made with hands, that's a death sentence. He says, what do you think will happen if someone thought the blood of the Son of God to be an unholy, worthless thing? If the Old Covenant required death at the picture, at the defilement of the picture, how much worse is it to have the blood of the Son of God presented before an individual and they thumb up their nose and say, I'd rather have the world. Yeah, I know that I profess Jesus Christ, but I'd rather have the world. I'd rather have the things in the world. I, I, I don't trust in that blood anymore and it means very little to me. Well, that's your alternative. That's what you have without Christ. So, so he, he, he shows one way, the way of faith, and he says this is what your alternative is if you, if you fall away. But he hopes better things for us. Verse 32, But call to remembrance the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight of affliction, partly with you made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, partly with you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So he says, I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. Remember the former days. Right after you were saved, he's telling these individuals, you endured a great fight of affliction. You were saved and, and you suffered. You were reproached for Christ. You told people that the Lord Jesus Christ had saved you. And sometimes you tell family members that and they're very happy for you and they rejoice with you. Sometimes you tell people that and they make fun of you and they laugh at you and they, they tempt you to, to cast it all away. Well, if these were if this was written to the Jewish people, which I I assume that it was, since it, it delves so deep into the Jewish ways. These are people that are walking away from their family and walking away from all that they've known. And surely they would have suffered reproaches and afflictions for standing with Christ and then sometimes for standing with others who were persecuted. So they might, this might be a little group of believers who had a, a pastor who was preaching the truth. And that pastor was arrested. And they, they didn't abandon him. They went and they supported him and they stood with him. And so they got what he got. Or there might have been one of the church members who went out into the, the town and, and, and refused to be um, 
They refused to back down upon the, the doctrines of the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were persecuted. And the church comes and they stand by this person. And then the reproaches that fall upon the persecuted fall upon the whole group. He said, remember all these things that happened to you when you first believed. They had compassion on the author, it says there, in his bonds. They were robbed and spoiled of their worldly, worldly goods. And you know what they did? They endured all that joyfully. He said, now how could you do that? Why did you do that? How could you rejoice in having all your things robbed and taken away? How could you rejoice in being plundered? How could you rejoice in being made a laughingstock and reproached and afflictions poured upon you for doing nothing wrong? But he says that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Why? Because they knew they had a better reward and glory. And they thought about it and said, being persecuted here doesn't really, if I put being persecuted on one side of the scale versus my reward in heaven, well, that's a very small thing indeed. A very small thing to suffer just a little while for the Lord Jesus, knowing that I have eternal life. That's a very small thing indeed. That's why they did that, and they knew that. Well, now he writes to them in verse 35, and says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. So, when the Lord saved them, they were very zealous. Very zealous to suffer. But now... Now maybe they're halting. Now maybe they're wavering. Now maybe they say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. and It's not that big a deal. It's not that important. He says, no, no, cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. Don't throw away your assurance that you have and the confidence that you have of what you have in Jesus Christ. They were able to stand boldly for what was right and true. So don't, don't go back on that now. Don't cast away that faith that you had, that confidence that you had, because that has a great payment. You get a lot out of that. There's a great reward with that kind of faith. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The Lord's coming back. And you have need of patience. You, you need to endure that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. He said, we don't have the promise yet. The promise is still future. Eternal life is still in future. The, the rewards that we have are still ahead. We haven't received our great inheritance that's reserved for us in heaven. He said, so don't cast away your confidence yet. Don't cast away your faith yet because you haven't received the promise yet. 
So what you need is endurance. You need patience. That after you have done the will of God, after you have finished your race, after you have uh, trusted in the Lord all the way to the end, you receive the promise. Because the Lord is coming back. And the just, as he quotes from Habakkuk to chapter 2, the just shall live by faith. The just shall have life by faith. But after the just have life by faith, the just shall continue to live by faith. So there is a faith that justifies in our salvation, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is that faith that the just live by. That we continue day by day living by, the faith, by faith, trusting in the Lord, enduring unto the end. We have faith, but we also live by faith. And, and quoting Habakkuk, he says, those who draw back those who give up, those who walk away, God has no pleasure in. So what it's saying is this true faith that we have is an enduring faith. It's not saying a prayer and giving a profession, but it is a saving faith unto the saving of our souls. It is a, a new birth. And that new birth, that, that faith that God gives us, is one that doesn't go away. But, in verse 39, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's not us, though. He says this before, he said, this is what you have in faith. Have full assurance. Because otherwise, this is the only option that you have. The judgment of God. Continue to persevere in your faith. Because if anybody draws back, God has no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back. God's elect are not them that draw back. Those who have true and saving faith are not those who draw back. Some may, but not God's elect. So he goes back and forth sort of warning, but with a warning towards encouragement. This is why you need to press on. We are not those that fall back. We are not those that fall away. We are those who endure. We are those who have patience. We are those that have a full assurance of faith, who draw near, who hold fast. That is what saving faith is. And this is the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11. Not how to be saved, or not how to stay saved, but this is encouragement to God's people. It's encouragement to them who do not draw back into perdition to press on. It's an encouragement and a help for us to, to keep on trusting, to hold fast our profession, to, to give us a great cloud of witnesses of those who trusted in the promises of God, endured great hardships, or looked to the promises without having any good reason on this earth to believe so other than God said. 
And they did. And so these are all witnesses to tell us, keep going. Keep believing. And so Enoch will come. And Enoch will testify that we ought to just keep trusting in the Lord. And Abel will testify. And Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses, they all testify uh, to, the, to the, the fact that God's people live by faith and trust. Trust his word. So that's what this is about. It's helping us who do not draw back to keep on trusting in God's promises. It's for people about to face hard times to trust in the Lord and not give up. Because in chapter number 12, it says in verse 4, You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Because he's saying, after this, he says, now, you haven't resisted unto blood yet. And you've forgotten that the Lord chastens those who he loves. So he's telling them, you're, you're going to face hardships. You're going to face trials. So how do we endure in that? How do we, how do we suffer with no obvious ways of escape from the suffering in this life that we can see in the flesh how do we keep on? Has anyone ever done that before? Has anyone ever had the option to, to have the things of this world, but then just give it up to, to suffer for the people of God? Well, Moses stands up and testifies that, that it is better to follow the things of Christ than, than to, to indulge yourself in the things of this world. So we have all these testimonies telling us to keep trusting in the Lord, not to give up and trust Christ in the midst of suffering. So look in verse number 1 of Hebrews 12. Wherefore? So you have this chapter 11, all these witnesses. Wherefore? On account of all that. Seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So this tells us the purpose, doesn't it? So if we think at the end of chapter number 10, the encouragement to, to, to faith, to have patience, he said, that you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Then he says, wherefore, after all these examples, let us set aside our sin that easily trips us up and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. He said, you need patience to finish the course. Here's some examples of that. Now, follow those examples, follow those witnesses and run the race that is set before you with patience. Not looking behind, but looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Where does our faith come from? Who is the establisher of our faith? Who gives us our faith? 
What's Jesus? Look to him as that author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured all these sufferings, that, that he suffered and was shamed and died upon the cross and endured the contradictions of sinners against himself. But, but what did he do? He looked ahead to the joy that was set before him. When he was whipped and beaten and imprisoned and mocked and spat upon, he looked, he looked ahead. He looked to the joy that was set before him. He looked to the promises of the Father. Now consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Unless you just get tired and you walk away and you give up and you get discouraged and you think there's nothing, there's no point in this. There's no point in pressing on. There's no point in continue. But look to the author and finisher of your faith who endured the cross, despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. Look to Christ and be strengthened and faint not in your minds. Because the hard days are coming, he, he said. But the hard days are there for our good. The, the chastening of the Lord has been, it's been ordained for our good. So trust. And as you start in chapter 11, you cover about 4,000 years of God's people. Starting with Abel. About 4,000 years of God's people living by faith. Trusting in the promises of God. Through different dispensations, different covenants, but it was always by grace through faith. That's been the way from the beginning. That's the way now. Look to Jesus, trust in him by faith. Look to these witnesses who lived a life of faith. Let us lay aside our sin, run the race, and look to Jesus. Well, Then, that's where we have the, the faith of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, now that we think about what came before and what came after it, I think we can see how faith connects to what we're, we're dealing with here. It is the faith of the elect, them who draw not, who draw back not uh, to, into perdition. Those who don't fall away. It's the faith of God's elect. It is living by faith. So the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, again, is not telling us how to be saved. Or it's not telling us how to keep our salvation. But it's to those who need patience. Those who are running the race. Those who have already received the promise. Those who draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Those who have their hearts sprinkled. And, and washed with pure water. Those who are holding fast that prof profession. Those who are not forsaking the assembly. Those who provoke one another to good works. Those who are living by faith. The justified who have been saved by God's grace. Who are now living by faith. He says, now here, look to this Hebrews chapter 11 for encouragement and strength. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the sure hope and the conviction of things that we don't see. It's the substance or the essence, rather, of, of what 
you hope for. So hope is always future. Now, in verse number three, it talks about faith as an illustration of creation. But things that you hope for is always in the future. And having faith is the, the essence, the substance of the thing that's hoped for. It's the, the essence of the thing that is promised. It's a taste of those things that is promised. So it's more than just hoping something good will happen. It's more than um, just wishing something would happen. But it's a, the essence of the thing that God has promised. So like in um, 1 Peter chapter number 1. In uh, verse number 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. This is that thing that God has promised. And it says, if we back up a little bit, um, in verse number 6, wherein you greatly rejoice. Now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now how are you going to rejoice in temptations? Because of the trueness and the substance of that faith, that the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold. We love Christ whom we haven't seen. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's not just mind games and mind tricks. That is a substantive um, reality of our faith. It's the essence of that faith. It is a foretaste of the true and full, or the, the, the real and final reality of our salvation. The Spirit of God is a, an earnest of our inheritance. And the things that we have in the Spirit, this joy and peace and love, all, these, all the fruit of the Spirit is a foretaste of what we will have in full. Um, Romans 8, 23 it says, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That the, the creation groans, waiting for the, the new creation, for the Lord's to return. And not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. We're waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our body. For if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. And the Spirit helps our infirmity. So this faith is the essence of that thing that we hope for. It's the taste of the thing that we, we have in our soul, that first fruit of the, the Spirit of God. So by faith, we have these things that we hope for. By faith, though now we don't have everlasting, or we don't have um, a glorified body, we, we know by God's promise. We know by faith that that's a reality. And that true and vital faith that we have given to us by the, the Spirit of God testifies to those things in our hearts. And so it is the substance of, of the thing hoped for. It's the evidence of the thing not seen. The stress of faith in this section is God's people living by faith. It's being sure of what God has promised to having the, the fruits and 
the, um, the blessings that come by faith in us without seeing the, the, what was promised. Uh, John Owen said, Faith is that gracious power of the mind whereby it firmly assents into divine revelation upon the sole authority of God. The revealer as the first fountain of truth. It's unto faith that that revelation of these invisible things is made, which it mixes and incorporates itself within, whereby it's evidence unto us. So the ascent of the faith of the believer is satisfactory evidence of the thing itself. So, in other words, what he's saying is that this gracious faith not I just hope this is going to happen. You know, the politicians told all the college students, we're going to pay all your student loan off. And I said, oh boy, we're going to get free money. And then the election's over, and I said, well, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. So they hoped in, in some, that was a hope, that was a wish. Even though they knew it was probably never going to happen. That was a wish. Well, that's not biblical faith, and that's not biblical hope. Faith is a work of God. It's God given to us whereby the child of God who ascends unto that revelation. So God tells us something and gives us the light of God's glory shines in our hearts. He gives us faith to receive the truth and we ascend to that truth. We agree with it. We believe it with all of our heart. Well, that by the spirit of God is evidence to us. That's satisfactory evidence to the child of God just as much as the thing itself. That's why we love Jesus Christ, though we haven't seen. Now, I couldn't convince you not to love the Lord Jesus Christ, because you do. And the promises of God is just as satisfactory evidence as, as, as seeing him in the flesh. And that's what Peter was talking about. It, it's evidence. It, it's the substance, of, it's the evidence of things not seen. That true and living faith the Spirit of God gives us. So people say, well, where's the evidence? Well, the evidence is the Word of God. God said it. They say, well, I don't believe the Word of God. Well, of course you don't believe the Word of God. Because uh, the, the, that this is faith that is given to us by God. Of course you don't accept the evidence because you're blind to the evidence. It's the evidence that forms the conviction of the soul. It's the evidence that would cause Abraham to walk away from everything that he had and go off and wander in the desert. It's the evidence that would have Joseph say, don't leave me down here in Egypt, but take my bones um, to the promised land. It was the evidence that would say, but Moses say, well, I'd rather leave everything in Egypt, all the wealth in Egypt, and suffer with the people of God. It was the evidence that caused the people of Jericho to walk around the city and, and and wait for the walls to come down, and, and on and on. Because it is that uh, working of the Spirit of God in our soul that we understand these things are true. So what does Satan try to get God's people to do? He tries to get them to doubt her, doubt the Word of God. What did he do to Eve? Did God really say? God didn't really say. He tried to get her to doubt. What's, God, what's the devil trying to get people to do all through the, the scriptures? Doubt. 
Doubt God's word. Doubt God's promises. Don't believe him. Why? Because faith is that God-given evidence that these things are true. So he tries to shake us right at the core of the thing that, that we know to be the grounding of, of, uh, of our Christian walk. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the answer of the fiery darts of the devil? Well, it's the shield of faith, isn't it? Faith is the answer to Satan whenever he tries to get us to doubt. It's not to go to science and say, if you start to doubt, say, well, I'll go to science and get scientific data. You know what will happen? You'll begin to doubt more and more and more. But whenever the fiery darts of the devil are, are hurling at your head, what do you do? You grab the shield of faith. You answer the attacks upon your faith with faith in the word of God. The ungodly try to seek to undermine our faith and attack the word of God and attack the Bible and attack your belief and uh, attack your convictions and undermine what the Bible says and undermine uh, what you, you know to be true, undermine the truth of, of doctrine and the truth of the gospel. But God has given us faith to answer the doubts. Satan attacks our faith. The ungodly seeks to undermine our faith. Science, falsely so-called, seeks to tear down and, and battle our faith. Why? So that makes you want to stop and think, why the attack on our faith? You know, sometimes, if you just stop and think about what the enemy is attacking, then that can tell you what's probably most important. Why is it the devil, why is it that that people will always attack the Gospel of John or the book of Noah, or, or Jonah, rather. Noah. You know all these things, all the things that they attack in the Word of God all have ties back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would they attack the book of Jonah? Well, because Jesus talked about the book of Jonah. Why do they talk, attack Noah? Because Jesus talked about that. To undermine your faith and your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that the enemy keeps attacking this one spot? Because the enemy knows what is important. Because God-given faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is illustrated in um, chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 13. <clears throat> for when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiply and I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So Owen said, The, the apostle treats not this place of justification or, or faith justifying, or its interest in justification, but its efficacy and the operation of the justified. So in other words, this is the James 2 kind of faith. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham believed and was justified by faith, and he kept on living by faith. And after he endured, after he was patient, after he did all those things in his life, all those years that you read about of Abraham's life, he obtained the promise. He, had the, he was given the promise and he believed it. And over here he obtained the promise. And then all that in the middle... He patiently endured. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. 
These people have already received the promise, or already heard the promise and believed the promise, but they haven't received it yet. So all that time in the middle, they patiently endure. This is what Hebrews 11 uh, does for us. This faith gives us courage. In, in Hebrews 11:2, it says, For the elders obtained a good report. They are our examples. They believed, and we, they have a good report. They believed and pressed on, and we count them honorable that do so. They are our examples. They are our witnesses. Faith puts life in perspective. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so things which are not seen were not made with things which do appear. We can understand that the world was framed by God. God created it. He fashioned it. He created it out of nothing. Why? Because God said. And we believe that, and that makes sense. It's sound reasoning. God said God was there. We have the testimony of his word. What's the other option? No scientist was there. You can't recreate the beginning. You can't observe the beginning. And that's the scientific method. So what in the world science going to tell us about something that happened in the past? No, it's a matter of faith. Who are you going to believe? Well, I'll believe the word of God. Why? Because God said it. And that, that makes sense. It's the testimony of God. It's sound reasoning. And that, that's, I don't need the scientists to, to tell me those types of things because God says it and it makes sense about the things of the world. It puts things in perspective for us. This is God's world. He created this. He rules this world. He, he, he made this world. He, he controls it. He put me in it. He gave me these promises, and I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. I didn't see it happen, but he told me it happened, and that, and that by the Spirit's testimony, um, is, is more than enough evidence for me. Faith allows us to deny ourselves and live unto God. It strengthens us to endure hardships for Christ. It gives us assurance that our service to the Lord is not in vain. We live by faith, and we have victory by faith. We persevere by faith, and our salvation that we have is unto final salvation, and that is by faith. You and I who have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe the promise unto salvation, but we haven't received it yet. So we're in that middle time, that enduring to the end. So we have a great cloud of witnesses that help us to press on and keep on trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ.